friends to the tomb of ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. I am the tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas, Tomb Believers. It's Christmas here in the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast, and my name is James Hickson. And I'm Trey Lawson. And, guys, we are so excited here for the holiday season. We lay out the whole Christmas feast. We've got uh, rat salad. We've got rat soup. We've got mashed rat with rat gravy. Um, I got some roasted rat over here and tray mm-hmm. for dessert. Yeah, I made some rat pie. Oh, that—that's my favorite. Oh yeah, so it's just melts in your mouth. Mm-hmm. And you know we've got all our gifts here underneath the uh, Christmas tree. Um, I made the Christmas tree out of rat bones. It's and you know some glitter because somehow there's always glitter around. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's 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 arts and crafts herpes <laughs> but um god damn it you know sorry this is a family episode because you know everyone gets their kids around the fire and listens to the tomb of ideas on christmas right right it's an annual tradition you watch rudolph and you watch your charlie brown christmas special and then you 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 turn on the, the tomb of ideas exactly uh, you know, right up there with the Queen's Speech over there in Jolly Old England. And and Doctor Who specials. Before we get too much into the festivities this episode, we do want to take a quick moment and check in with Hellstrom Watch. <laughs> Trey, what is happening in the world of Marvel Media? Well, uh, there was a Hollywood Reporter article from December 10th which was uh, just, uh, what, five days ago as we record this. And it says, Marvel TV division folded into studio unit, layoffs expected. So that doesn't sound too good. Jeff Loeb is staying on for the transition. So as it folds in, as they figure out who's going to do what and what's going to happen, Jeff Loeb will at least temporarily still be an executive involved in things. Um, But... He is expected to depart sometime after that transition is over. Also, the Marvel TV senior VP, Kareem Zreich, is joining Marvel Studios and will continue to oversee at least some of the projects in production. As far as actual content, we've still got, of course, one more season of Runaways happening. Okay. Which is going to include the Cloak and Dagger crossover. Now, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is in its last season, It right? is, yes. So, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is ending in 2020 uh, at the end of its seventh season. Longer than I ever thought it'd last. Right. You know, it. I, I'm way behind, so I've not seen the most recent seasons, but I will say it is a show that evolved considerably as it went along and, and got better for it. So, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. honestly is a better show than it gets credit for, especially if you want to be generous from about halfway through season one on. But but even discounting that, uh, from around like season two or three on, it, it gets 
to be a really interesting show, and the further away it gets from the events of the MCU, the more freedom they have to just tell interesting stories. Do they still do the thing where, like, there's, like, one episode a season which is directly tied into whatever movie just came out that month? Well, not so much. Now, again, I'm, I'm way behind, so... But, but my understanding is they moved pretty far away from the MCU. Okay. Oh, that's right, because they're still within the five years gap. Yeah, yeah. Oh, crap. That's right. They're still within that five-year gap. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently things got real weird in the last season or so that I've not been watching, but... But Hellstrom is still happening. Yes, Hellstrom is in development... It is expected to debut alongside the animated Hulu stuff, and it will be, by these accounts, the last live-action production by Marvel Television, as opposed to the Disney Plus series, which are all being done in-house by Marvel Studios. See, I could still easily see a scenario where Kevin Feige takes a look at the pilot for Hellstrom and is like, nah. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I... Because it's Hulu and not Disney+, Plus, I could also see them just dumping it. You know, just whatever, get it out there. We spent the money on it, let's do it. As of right now, it is still happening. Yeah, yeah. It is It is still going to get, for now at least, it's expected to get at least as much development as Inhumans did. Marvel's kind of pretending Inhumans didn't happen at this point. Although it is on Disney+. Plus. It is. It is. But besides that, they are kind of just pretending it didn't happen. Right, which, I mean... It was a very expensive failure. Very expensive. Between the marketing that they did to put it in IMAX theaters. Yes. Um, the CGI dog. The bad CGI hair. Right, which they actually had to do reshoots to fix. Like, the that's... the bad CGI wig that you're referring to, that's after $100,000 worth of reshoots. Wow, they should have gotten that studio that redid Sonic the Hedgehog to do it. Because, <laughs> you know, that might get them afloat. Right, right. Because apparently they're going out of business. Yep, um, yep. I think they also the worked the on uh, Detective Pikachu. Which is like one of the most impressive CGI films of the, the year. Yep. Which, you know, apparently, again, CGI is really expensive. It is. And that's and that's with the people doing it not really getting paid enough. So what I'm thinking happened is they promised they could do it fast, they could do it high quality, mm-hmm. and they could do it cheap. Right. And the problem was, the price they quoted was too cheap. Yes, yes. So they turned out fantastic product and then couldn't pay their employees or their, you know, debts and went under. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Long story short, Hellstrom still happening. Marvel Television not happening. Slowly dying. Yeah, yeah it is. Dead. Yeah, Marvel Television's <laughs> going bye bye. Which you right. know, layoffs not that Christmassy a topic. Right. Uh, right. Very. I, I'm. Sh- but I'm sure everybody at Marvel Television will end up landing on their feet. They're very talented individuals who had a lot of success over the year. Years. Sure. Sure. So. Yeah. Bit of a mixed bag there, but Hellstrom, still happening. Yep. For now. For now, yeah. Until Feige says otherwise and snaps his fingers. You know, Trey, I was going to hold off this part until the end, but, you know, I just can't, I can't wait to give you your Christmas present. Can I just... Oh! Yeah. I, I, you know, I just can't wait to give you your Christmas present here. It's sitting here under a tree. I hope you don't have it already. Um, oh. You know, I thought long and hard about it. It's really... I hope you like it. Oh, okay. So should, should I open it right now? 
yeah, yeah, go ahead and open it. It's fine. Okay, sure. But let's see here. Oh, this is some this is some fun paper here. Um, let's see. Oh, it's Ghost Rider number three. Yeah, I I wasn't sure if you had it or not, but you know, it seemed like something you could use. Yeah, no, I I I don't have it. Uh, but coincidentally, I believe that is the next issue that we're covering in this series. Oh, well, that's convenient. Right. Um, I, that really, really fortunate, yeah. Yeah, um, so definitely looking forward to that. Oh, oh, but while we're, while we're doing the present thing, um, there is one for you under the tree as well. Oh, you didn't have to. Oh, but I wanted to. Aw, okay, uh, yeah. Hey, it's Adventure into Fear 19! Yeah, you didn't have that one, did you? No, but that's weird. That's also a comic we're covering on the show today. That's so weird. Yeah. And I believe it is what the collectors call a key issue. Ooh, fancy. Right? Yeah, okay. I look I look forward to reading that within the next, you know, hour or so. Right. So, uh, I guess... That sets up what we're going to cover today. I mean, these two issues are perfect. We, we can talk about Ghost Rider number three, and we can talk about Adventures into Fear number 19. Right, which means we'll be right back after this quick message. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. It's Treasury Cast, a podcast devoted to the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. DC, Marvel, Archie, IDW, and more, bigger than life. It's the Treasury Cast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on fireandwaterpodcast.com. International terrorism. Freeway killers. Now, more than ever, it's it is important to remember the, the true, true meaning of Christmas. Christmas. Don't miss Charles Dickens' immortal classic, Scrooge. Your life might just depend on it. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. We are coming back into this episode right now. I've made us a couple of glasses of hot mulled wine. Mm, I, I love mulled wine. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's really easy to make. You just take a bucket cocoa. Uh, you uh, add some... Uh-huh. You, lo- you allow that to ferment. And you add a little bit extra something to help it make it red. I'm not saying what this extra something is. But... I think you can figure it out by the taste. Hmm. Um. Mine's chewy. Is it supposed to be chewy? Fun fact: uh, the bucket cocoa actually ferments really easily. Oh God. 
so, anyway, we're going to go ahead and talk about our first issue this episode, which is Ghost Rider number three. Yeah, and uh, if, if this uh, bucket cocoa mold wine doesn't kill me, I'm going to try and summarize it for you. Ghost Rider number three, cover date December 1973, written by Gary Friedrich, art by Jim Mooney, inks by Jim Tardis, Le- the letterer is Tom Orzachowski, the colorist is George Russo's, and the editor is Roy Thomas. We open with the ending of Marvel Spotlight number 12, as the son of Satan abandons Ghost Rider and the unconscious Linda Littletree alone in the desert. Linda awakens and tries to use her powers to teleport them both away, but now that her connection to the devil has been severed, she is powerless. However, she still remembers how to use her powers, and offers to share her knowledge with the powerful but untrained Johnny Blaze. With great concentration, Blaze learns to create anything he can imagine with his Hellfire powers. He conjures a new motorcycle to escape the desert. However, Linda is unable to ride since only Johnny can interact with his Hellfire constructs. He rushes to get help, vowing to return to her. He speeds across the countryside, but meanwhile, not far from the rider's location, Roxanne Simpson flees for her life, pursued by Big Daddy Dawson. Ghost Rider, unaware of this development, continues onto the crowded freeway. However, just then, the effects of the sunrise take hold, and the Ghost Rider transforms back into Johnny Blaze. All at once, his motorcycle vanishes, throwing Johnny into traffic and causing a massive collision. Back in the desert, Dawson snares Roxanne with his chains and takes her back toward his hideout. The unconscious Johnny Blaze dreams of the various events that have transpired in past issues, causing him to awaken in a panic. Roxanne is tied up in Dawson's hideout, and the biker reads about Blaze's condition in the newspaper. Dawson decides to hold Roxanne for ransom, and Roxanne goes along with it. Once she realizes that by the time they get to the hospital, Blaze will have transformed once again. Back at the hospital, Blaze's transformation is complete startling the nurse and armed guard watching over his room. He encounters Dawson and Roxanne outside the hospital, and Dawson is shocked to find that his bullets have no effect on the Ghost Rider. Dawson changes strategy and attempts to run the rider down with his motorcycle before speeding away. Ghost Rider uses his newfound powers to conjure a cycle of his own, and he gives chase. Ghost Rider attempts to stop Dawson with a blast of hellfire, but inadvertently kills the biker along with some innocent bystanders in traffic. The police finally begin to respond to the situation as the Ghost Rider rides away. So, there's a lot of murder in this book. Yep, a whole lot of people die. Um, Both from the initial traffic accident that Johnny Blaze causes, and then the later accident that Johnny Blaze also causes. Yeah, people die in this book who should not have died. Right, lots of innocence, which is kind of weird. I know that they're still developing the Ghost Rider mythology, but like later on, like part of his whole shtick is like avenging people who have wronged innocent blood or whatever. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's problematic. Let's let's just say that right now. It's it's while we're talking about problematic, so. Johnny has completely abandoned Linda at this point, right? Like, she's just been out in the desert for over 24 hours. Yeah. This is, uh, page, what, 10, maybe? 
Um, but you go ahead. When you reach town, you can send someone for me. I'll be alright till then. But don't take too long. Should you lose your powers before you can summon help? And he says, I won't. No matter what, I'll make it. I have to. And that is the last we hear from her. Hold on. Like, is he conscious at any point when he's in the hospital later? Sort of. Like, he, he wakes up complaining of a fever. Like, basically, he wakes up and transforms. Right. They don't... He doesn't have any point in there where he tells that Little Little Tree's okay and, like, you know, stranded in the desert. No. No. He doesn't actually send help the way he said he would. So, she's gonna die. I mean, that that is entirely possible. Now, they may, like, you know, change their minds on that and, and show that he somehow went for help later. Mm-hmm. But... But that, that's it's gonna be weird. Like... Yeah. At the way that this story is written, like, in terms of the, the timeline, to go from from one... To go from sunrise to sunset, like, he has basically been gone for a full day. Yeah, you're right. He has been gone for basically a whole day. And and with no sign that he's going to do anything in the near future, because now he's running from the cops. We talk about the deaths in here. Like, there is just a ton of reckless endangerment on Johnny's part here. Yep. Like... When he trans when he transforms back into Giant Blaze, he causes a massive pileup. Yes, yes. And then when he kills Dawson, he causes another wreck. Yes. And then the police are after them. Rightfully yep. so. Yes, yes. He has committed multiple crimes at this point. Yes. yes. And this is not mesh with the Spider-Man story we read last. Like, two issues ago? Two episodes ago? Right. The Spider-Man team like, up? Yeah, like, he went... Like, in that book, he was practically a superhero. Right? And he's, like, he's a celebrated stunt writer again. He's back in New York. Right. This is still... West somewhere. Yeah. We're not really sure where. So... Right. Like, that's that, that team-up book seemed to have been written to line up nicely with spider-man's chronology like what was going on in his book but with no thought whatsoever to what was going on in johnny's book at the time because no one gives a dang because at this point ghostwriter is still like c-list right and he's only three issues into his solo book yeah and this is the first issue of his solo book that he's not entirely sharing with another person yeah I mean, even now, like, we still have Son of Satan on the splash. Yep, we do. Like, the opening splash page is still, like, Son of Satan is far more prominent than Ghost Rider in that splash page. <laughs> it's funny because, like, in a letters page, somebody's like, I like the character of Linda Littletree, by the way, a lot more than I like Roxanne. How about letting Roxanne die and making Linda Johnny Blaze's new love interest? After the devil possessed her, of course. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, you're probably not going to like this issue, buddy. <laughs> right. Well, the thing is, maybe not in not as a romantic interest, but I I, I actually do like this idea of Linda training Johnny. Mm -hmm. Like that's one of the best sequences of the comic because it makes sense. She actually because she actually gave into the satanic influence or whatever. She actually knows how to use those powers, whereas Johnny Blaze doesn't. Right, and. It's, so the powers that are revealed here, he can apparently form objects out of Hellfire, which only he can interact with. Which, it'll be interesting right. to see if that remains consistent when 
with later uses of the power. Yeah, and and honestly, I I like I like that he he conjures a bike like that. For a while, the sticking point with the character for me was there was nothing special about the motorcycle. He was just on a regular motorcycle, and if it wrecked, he was just kind of stuck. Yeah, in fact, in the first issue, we had Ghost Rider in a truck. Yeah, yeah, like he had to basically steal a truck because he didn't have a motorcycle handy. So now, no matter where he goes, if he is the rider, he has a motorcycle. And I like that. We should probably talk about the letter page because we got some interesting letters this time around. Yeah. The, the, the first one was the one you mentioned where uh, they, they like Linda better than Roxanne. Yeah, and which is kind of funny. I kind of agree with it because, like, I definitely see some chemistry here between Linda and Roxanne in this issue. Yeah, well, Sorry, honestly... Between Linda, I, and, between Linda and Johnny, excuse me. Right, right. Well, and honestly, I like this kind of not-quite-triangle they've got going because they each speak to a different side of Blaze. Like, Roxanne is the one whose, like, pure soul saved him from the devil. Linda is the one who gave in to the devil herself. Right. That, that, that would actually be far more interesting what we've been doing so far, back and forth, back and forth across the desert. Yes. Because yes. it kind of seems like a Scooby-Doo chase sequence at this point. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. There's, uh... And I'm, I guess part of it is so you get plenty of panels of Ghost Rider on that motorcycle, but it gets boring. Yeah, we've had three issues, actually more, where it's just been back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth across the desert, which is yeah. pretty unremarkable. Like, And always racing against time for some reason or another. Yes. Like, critical points in a series always seem to happen right before the sun goes down or right before the sun goes up. Yeah. And the next letter kind of talks about that. Um, and I'll go just read into this entirety. Dear Stan, Roy, Gary, Tom, and Bullpen. It pains me a little to say this, but Ghost Rider is one of those scripts which falls into my IUP category. What IUP stands for is infinite unused potential. And the question I keep asking myself is... Why? I still haven't reached an answer. I have formulated a few theories, if you'd care to lend them an ear. First of all, the stories. They're not tightly enough plotted. Reading them, one gets the feeling that Gary can't quite make up his mind on what to do next. But he's got to come up with something, because there's a deadline to meet. So we get trivia. Roxanne bitten by snakes. Ghost Rider pursued by the cops. And an inexperienced cyclist trying to jump a non-existent canyon. Despite some fine dialogue work, it all comes off as irrelevant. We're never made to care. If Roxanne dies from the snake bites, so what? There's not a character in that woman to get upset about. Secondly, the Satanism motif. It's good, keep it, but for heaven's sakes, pardon the pun, do something with it. Have Ghost Rider come up against an entire cult of Satanists, or better yet, have him ally himself with such a cult, and have the whole thing take place somewhere other than in the middle of nowhere out in the desert. If he's headed west, let him get to San Francisco or have a run-in with Daredevil or to Los Angeles for a meeting with Morbius or have him crash an Easland Institute sensitivity session or something. Second, the art. It's not moody enough under Sutton. As it was under Plug. it's not bad, far from it in fact, but it doesn't have the intensity it should have. And the same is true of the coloring. Look at the recent Englehart Bruner Doctor Strange bags. That's the kind of shadowy world Ghost Rider shouldn't have it. All I'm saying is this. 
Ghost Rider could be a monumental success, or it could be Marvel's big, mightiest blunder. Right now, it's neither. I prefer it to be the former. How about it? And that's John Grace of Portland, Oregon. Yeah, and very good points all around. I especially sympathize with the problem of uh, villains. Yeah. Because, mm -hmm. I, I have to say, I'm starting to get whiplash from Ghost Rider going back and forth from fighting literal Satan to fighting random nobody bikers. Yeah. Get get this guy a rogues gallery. Exactly. Like, the best Ghost Rider villain we've seen so far has been the Orb. Yeah, yeah. And... Well, and, and, and which woman, I guess. I guess. Like, in that she is still present and part of the book and recurring. True. Un unless she dies in the desert. Which, right up, right now, she's on track to do, so that's great. Right. But yeah, like, as far as, recur as far as, like, interesting villains, we've got Satan and we've got the Orb. Yeah, it's just, like, eh, okay. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing on the letters page, we do have an ad for a new comic coming from Mighty Marvel. Uh, yeah. An Iron Fist and Hands of Steel. There, that's right. They're uh, promoting a new martial arts title, and before you get too excited, fans of Kunlun, it's not him. It's actually right. it's it's <laughs> actually um, Shang Chi, uh, the master of kung fu. So I, right. I guess that was before they decided Iron Fist was going to be his own character. Right, and uh, and notable here that this is that first run of Shang Chi stories when Marvel actually had the rights to. Dr. Fu Manchu. Yeah, that's right. Like, for the upcoming movie, I think it's gonna, he's going to be Ten Rings related. Right, right. Um, they're, they're going to do the real Mandarin. The real, okay. And you can't see me, but I'm doing, uh, like, finger quotes around real. He is, guys. Um, but, so, it'll be interesting to see if Ben Kingsley appears in the in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but also, uh, this it's relevant in several ways, as far as them doing this book in this time. First off, they sort of point out the pop culture re relevance. The blurb says, move over, Kane. Step aside, Bruce Lee. This is the big one, on sale now. Yeah, which, you know, okay. Whatever, guys. You're obviously basing him off Bruce Lee, so... Right. And and But also, the Fu Manchu connection is also somewhat relevant in that there had been a series of Fu Manchu movies from 1965 through 1969 that starred Christopher Lee. One of them famously shown on MST3K. Oh, what's the deal with Fu Manchu anyways? It's not like he's really evil, he's just dull. He's like some twisted bureaucrat in silk jammers. <laughs> I'm really glad you brought that up, uh, Crow, because uh -oh. I happen to have some artists right oh, no, 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 oh, come on. A little levity, okay? Oh, Let's, this is the story of Fu Manchu, okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because they they are not good. Uh, in fact, the last one, the 1969 one, was uh, uh, The Castle of Fu Manchu, which was a season three episode of Mystery Science Theater. Yep, yep, Castle of Fu Manchu. Yep, it is, it is not good. Nope. A little uh, bit racist, too. Which... Oh, well, it's Fu Manchu. There's never been a not-racist version of that <laughs> character, I don't think. It, it doesn't help that they're having an Englishman play the Fu Manchu. Well, that that's that's tradition, too. Uh, I think Karloff played Fu Manchu for a while. You're right. So, as far as the, the rest of the issue, um, the stuff with Roxanne and the biker is not great. Yeah. 
It's 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 a wee bit rapey. It, it is, and uh, I'm still not crazy. Of, I'm not crazy about the biker villains in general, but especially this guy who looks like Macho Man Randy Savage, but with swastikas on his vest. You? No, actually, no, no, no. Yeah, it's it's. He's yet another forgettable biker guy he's coming up against. I mean... Yeah, well, he's the same biker guy from the last time we saw Roxanne, right? Yeah. Like, we had already gotten kind of tired of bikers showing up for, like, Werewolf by Night. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, that's one of the things that was just sort of in vogue at the time, I guess, was, was biker stuff. It's, and I guess if you're doing a motorcycle-based hero, you're inevitably going to have a little bit of that, but it's gotten real old real fast. Yeah, just just a wee bit. Just a... And, and because the only story you can tell with it is they get Roxanne and Ghost Rider has to save her. Yeah, and the implication... And it's always going to be weird. It's always going to be weird and creepy and rapey. Yes, always going to be queer, weird, creepy, and rapey. Okay, have we talked about the fact that Ghost Rider straight up kills a man in this? We, we mentioned it. I mean, he kills a lot of people in this, but he specifically kills Dawson, the biker. Yeah, he, he, he definitely kills Dawson. Like, intentionally kills Dawson. Yeah, he, he thinks to himself on page 32, Don't like killing anyone, but better he die than innocent drivers. And then he proceeds to kill a bunch of innocent drivers, too. Because he's bad at using his powers. Right? He is. He, he really is. Like, he he flips a semi-truck. Yeah. Because apparently, like, the intention is, like, to headshot Dawson. Or something along those lines. Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, because the, the motorcycle would have kept going. Like, on that collision course. Yeah. So even then, he still would have, ki like, killed some people. Yeah. Um, well, because he... It looks like he aimed at the tire. Because he says, my flame blew his tire. Smashed him into that truck. Okay, like, don't like killing anyone, but better him... He died in Innocent Drivers. Lord, my flame blew his tire. Smashed him into that truck. And trying to protect the innocent, I've probably harmed them again. No shit, so, Johnny. But, like... Right, and so I'm, I'm assuming this was done in the Marvel style with the the plot and then the art and then filling in the dialogue bubbles. Yeah. And all I can figure is that uh, when when Friedrich got the art back for this page, he could not actually figure out what Ghost Rider was shooting at or what was happening, and that was the best he could come up with. Yeah, like, let's not make it just straight-up murder, but it's murder. Right. Like, if, if this was the trial, he would be convicted of murder. Right, and it could very well, because the police are on his tail. Yes, which we'll probably pick up next issue. Right. Or not. Right. When, de when death stalks the demolition derby. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, the art was fine. I mean, it's still not as good as Plug, but it's fine. It's better than Sutton. Yeah, yeah. Um, I... The, the transformation at the top of 26 is okay. Mm-hmm. 
it's simple. It's simpler than what Plug would have done, but I like having it in the sort of bubbles across the top of the page. I think the the, the Hellfire motorcycle could be better designed. Like, like later later incarnations of this motorcycle will look really freaky and creepy. Yeah, but this one is literally just his usual motorcycle, but on fire and colored red. Yes, which seems lazy. Yes, but. But we could also write that off as him still figuring out how his powers work, and that's the best he can do. It gets the job done. Yeah. I, I also like on 18, the, the dream sequence, where it's just a montage of images. That's It's not as interesting as what Plug would have done, because Plug does really great stuff with montages. But it's, a, it's in the ballpark of what Plug would have done. Also, can we just comment on the fact that Johnny Blaze looks really white bread? In that picture? Yeah, he does. Like, he, he totally looks like a 1940s action serial star. Like, maybe, at best, a 1940s cowboy. Well, yeah, yeah. Like... Like, but not the lead. He'd be, like, John Wayne's rival or something. Yeah. It's... It's not great. Yeah. It, yeah. The book itself I, is, I, is not great here I... it's still not there yet and we're only four issues in like it has it has plenty of time to to do better but right now it nothing has happened that makes me think that they did the right thing in spinning this off of marvel spotlight no it's 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 a book he's got he's got a new power that's that's that is at least development that is forward movement that ghost rider has a new power that is clearly defined. Yes. And it'll be interesting to see if they actually are consistent with that in the future. Right. Because if only he can interact with the things, he shouldn't be able to make weapons out of it. Right. Right. But I bet you Cash he's going to. Right. So it, that'll be interesting. Which it's funny because his Hellfire can hurt people. But they can't interact with constructs made out of the Hellfire. Also, they don't mention the fact that, you know, if, like, Linda Little Tree had just gotten on the bike, she would have been on fire. Yeah, like, that. that is a more legitimate concern, that I no longer have satanic powers myself. That Hellfire motorcycle will literally kill me. Yeah, it'll burn you. And that seems like an But But she suggests that she would just sink through it if she tried to sit on it. it, it no, you're going to catch on fire, and catch on fire in a very unfortunate way. I just... Right, because because unlike Johnny Storm with his hands, Ghost Rider can't make the back of the seat not on fire. Nope. 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 So, yeah, it's a comic. <laughs> it's a comic. I mean, I actually, I, I to be fair, I did enjoy it more than other Ghost Rider comics we've read. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's almost not fair to compare it to the last couple of issues because those were really Son of Satan comics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I liked this one, I don't know, at least as much as, like, the Witch Woman issues. And the problem is, like, I like a lot of it, but it really upsets me they're not talking about the fact that there's some straight-up murder in this issue. Right, right. Like, they can't figure out if they want this to be a superhero book or not. I think in Werewolf by Night, they would just be like, oh yeah, he's dead. He killed someone, again. Mm -hmm. But he's a werewolf, that's gonna happen. Yeah. And, you know, they could easily do that with Ghost Rider. It's like, yeah, those people died, but the guy's soul has been corrupted by Satan. He's bound to kill some people. 
Yep. But they never say that. And it's weird. Yeah, it really is. I, I also just think that Ghost Rider is not... Like, as a whole, the book is not as good at handling the sunrise-sunset transformations and the way they fit into the story as Werewolf. No. It'll be interesting to see if that changes with Gary, if right. Gary Friedrich ever leaves the book. Yes, which he will. Um, I think fairly soon. Um, but, yeah. Uh, and, and I know in early Werewolf by Night stories, we comp- complained about the same thing, that that Werewolf came across as an idiot losing track of what time of the month it was. Yeah. Um, and and Ghost, Ghost Rider has a little bit of that, too, except it's every single night. Yep. Anyway, we'll be right back with Adventures in the Fear, number 19, featuring the Man-Thing. Don't talk, just listen. Son, there is no hope, only mystery, wonder, and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinefunks Podcast Network. Welcome back to Ideas. And our next issue for this episode is Adventures into Fear number 19, featuring, of course, the Man Thing. This, again, is from December 1973. And writer is Steve Gerber. Artist is Val Myrick. Inker is Sal Trapani. Letterer is Artie Simic. Colorist is Linda Lessman. Editor is Roy Thomas. The Man-Thing watches as an unbelievable battle rages between fantasy barbarians, American GIs, and futuristic rockets. Above it all floats a castle in the sky. Suddenly, a bright light comes forth from the castle and down descends Jennifer Kale in the garb of a sorceress. She tells the Man-Thing to accompany her back to the castle, but the two are pursued up the light bridge by a gang of barbarians who corner Jennifer and about her slay her when... She wakes up. 
Jennifer Kale, it seems, has been dreaming and is safe and sound in her bedroom in her grandfather's house. Said grandfather and Jennifer's brother Andy rush to the room to find the source of Jennifer's screaming and assure her that she is safe and sound. Later that night, however, a knife covered with peanut butter left on a table undergoes a startling transformation into the leader of the barbarians from Jennifer's dream, Korak. Korak? Korak? Korak. Korak rushes upstairs to resume his attack on Jennifer, but is frightened off by the intrusion of the rest of the Kale clan, who themselves are surprised by the sudden appearance of Dakama the Enchanter. Dakama explains that the neighboring swamp is a nexus of realities, explaining the odd occurrences that have plagued the family as of late. Dakama then invites Jennifer to be his apprentice. The young woman agrees, and the two disappear into the multiverse. Meanwhile, in the swamp, Korak bemoans being in a world not his own when he's come upon by the Man-Thing. The warrior prince tries to slay the monk monster, but finding his slashing to be ineffectual, slumps to the ground and then begins to bemoan his fate. At this point, an anthropomorphic duck in a suit and tie and smoking a cigar arrives to tell the barbarian to stop bellyaching. Wait. Wait. Trey? Trey? Yeah? It's Howard! <gasps> it's Howard the duck! OMG! It's a talking duck! It's a talking duck! It's Howard! <laughs> we finally got to Howard the Duck. Right? I'm so excited. I told you this was a key issue. Oh man. He's a he's a he's Howard. He's a talking duck. It's great. I love it. <laughs> okay, back to the summary. In Dakma's study, the ancient wizard reveals to Jennifer the dire nature of the situation to find themselves in. That all of reality, not just one universe, is at risk. The warning is interrupted, however, as one of the futuristic rockets from the beginning bursts through the wall of the study and explodes. In the rubble, Jennifer finds herself trapped and Dakama nowhere to be found and a horde of the now-allied G.I.s and barbarians streaming into the study, taking the young sorceress prisoner. Back on Earth, Manthing, Korok, and the yet unnamed Duck follow a scream through the swamp to find the airport construction site overrun by demons. Demons with one mission in mind. Destroy the Man-Thing. That's Howard the Duck. It's Howard the Duck, I know. Right? Um, but before before we get into that, um, I just have to say, this opening narration on the first couple pages kind of like a cross between Rod Serling and Criswell. It's it's really good. Like, you've got these futuristic rock, rockets going up against old biplanes, and then, like, what it looks like World War II GIs fighting dudes with bows and arrows and broadswords on horseback. It's really... Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, Val Merrick is clearly having a ball with those first few pages. It, it's just... Oh, that's such a good, and it's a, like this great double page, double page splash too. Mm -hmm. It's just really satisfying. Yeah, but with like what six panels of details across the top. Yeah, no, it's good, good stuff. Yeah, so we finally are getting some payoff for the Jennifer Kale uh, cameos within the last couple of issues. 
Yeah, and I I have to say I was I was down on those other issues for not doing anything with that with that stuff, but the wait was worth it. It really was. It pays off in a big way. Yeah, this is this is a great issue. I am not entirely sure what is happening most of the time, but it is great. It never stops being fun. Right. Like the segment where the the peanut butter knife turns into a barbarian. Yeah, well, the peanut butter knife turns into a sword. The peanut butter turns into a barbarian. <laughs> it's a Cathartan's war sword rests beside the jar of peanut butter, or is it a jar of man? That that that, that might put you off peanut butter for a for a few days. It's <laughs> it's it's. it's you know, I'm, I'm getting shades of bucket cocoa there. Uh, oh, mm, there's more bucket cocoa. <laughs> <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 fun. It, it's kind of weird that he just knew to go upstairs to find her. Yeah, yeah. He and he, uh, I noticed he bursts through his door and says, "Witch woman." Um, I don't see Linda anywhere. Right, right. Uh, he's obviously in the wrong comic. Yeah, but but he's clearly disoriented. Yeah, uh, and then the wizard shows up in a teenage girl's bedroom. Yeah, because he's a creeper. He really is. I I have serious questions about the outfit that this wizard has provided to his very young apprentice. Like, you know, when we first met Jennifer, she looks like she's maybe like. 10 or 13 at best on the cover where we're first right. introduced to her inside the comic she's depicted as being a bit older but she's right. definitely not 18 yet no no in fact the grandpa is basically like well i can't stop you from going with the weird wizard dude but come on i am pretty sure that as her legal guardian he could very well stand in the way of that <laughs> yeah <laughs> he 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 could uh, by the way, a uh, couple of young kids in a in a swamp with their gr- weird grandpa uh, or older family f- figure. Um, are we getting Gravity Falls vibes? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. And speaking of speaking of the other kid, uh, Andy, someone should really tell him to stop wearing pajamas that are the exact same color as his hair. Did they? They're, they're pink in the panel I'm looking at. Uh, maybe the maybe what I'm looking at is just really faded. Okay, that, that's possible. Yeah, but um, I mean, get on him for wearing pink pajamas. Sure, you know, no, whatever that's... you're comfortable in, man. Nothing wrong with with pink pajamas. No, um, no I was just going to say that I just really love the art of, of this issue. Right. Uh, and actually, actually, before we meet Howard, we meet Howard. On 18? You get the, the yeah, the vision of the Nexus. And yeah, there's a little duck there. That doesn't look like Howard, though. It doesn't. But I feel like that is setting up for the, the, the existence of Howard later on. Yeah, almost certainly. Because there's also a, a Mickey Mouse parody right next to him. Yes. We get the Fu Manchu ad again. Yes. Um, we also, uh, in the uh, the yellow box before the letters start, we've got some really important announcements here. 
So they, they announced that beginning next month, you'll be able to follow the fear-fraught escapades of America's favorite walking bog in his own monthly magazine. That's right, people. Man-Thing number one, featuring the conclusion of this issue's interdimensional romp, goes on sale just 30 days from now. And it'll be on sale with almost frightening regularity every month thereafter. Oh, wow. Yeah, but you didn't think we were going to stop there, did you? This is a two-part Swamp Shaking special announcement, because beginning with Adventure Into Fear number 20, on sale 60 days from now, we're launching a brand new series starring perhaps the most requested new Marvel star of all, Morbius the Living Vampire. Oh, wow! Yeah, so next month, Man-Thing number one, and then two months... Morbi uh, the debut of Morbius the Living Vampire in Adventure Into Fear number 20. So, does that mean that Morbius is not going to be in, in Vampire Tales anymore? Or is he going to be on... I think he'll be in both. Wow, so we're going to get a double think, dose of Morbius. I think we've got a Dracula situation where he's going he's gonna to be lead of both books. Ooh, that's going to make splitting up the issues interesting. Yeah. Um. So we've got some interesting letters here. One where it asks if the whole thing with Man-Thing might tie into what, I guess, was going on currently in the Doctor Strange title at this time. Right, that's the Inglehart the run, which weirdly also came up in the letters page for the other comic we talked about. Right? Like, there's some very enthusiastic Doctor Strange readers reading these books, it looks like. To the point where I'm kind of wondering, maybe we should have been covering Man uh, Doctor Strange this whole time. I mean, we will run into the good doctor sooner or later. I, I guarantee you that. Almost certainly, yeah. Um, but, like, if we were to go back to, like, the first Doctor Strange issue, we would be nothing but a Doctor Strange podcast for a good segment there. Yeah, we would. Yeah, we would. But, yeah, so they, they reference the, the, the demon plague uh, from Man-Thing and compare it to something that was going on with Shuma Garath in the Doctor Strange title. Okay. Um, but, but the... the uh, reply from the bullpen is basically that no those are two separate things earth is just having all kinds of supernatural troubles right now yeah it's almost like horror books are hot right now right but they do say that if enough readers ask for it dr strange could make a cameo maybe he will who knows yeah i mean you, you got some brand new magic users showing up in the swamp you know that's gonna draw some attention right especially since i don't i really do not trust this old wizard with Jennifer, not with Jennifer Kale. No, I, I think he's got some, if not sinister intentions, at least pervy ones. Right, right. Uh, the other thing in that reply that's interesting is that they hype up Marvel 2-in-1, Volume 1, Number 1, which will feature the Man-Thing alongside the ever-loving Blue-Eyed Thing. Right? So we get to, we get to talk about the Thing on the show. And not man thing. Yeah, that's gonna be fun. I mean, we're man right, thing too, that, but yeah, you know. right. And that's coming next issue, or next net, not next issue, next month. Right. So that's gonna be fun for us. Yeah. So listeners, yeah, let us know. Should we be covering the Engelhart Doctor Strange run uh, on our show? Like, I think we'd have to go back and cover some past issues if we did that. But you know, if yeah. there's a demand from you guys for it, we. We are willing to give in to your demands. Or, you know, we could always do, like, a special, like, reading catch-up discussion and, and make it, like, a Patreon thing for Cinepunks. Ooh, that's a good idea, too. And Liam will like that. <laughs> right? <laughs> 
So, yeah, back to the issue. Uh, yeah, um, which if you're wondering why we keep coming to these letters pages in the middle, it's because for some reason in these comics right now, the letters page is coming on, like, page 18 or 19. Right, it's, it's a bit disconcerting. But uh, I just... Trey, I love this comic so much. It's fun. It's real fun. It's really fun. Like, this whole setting with, like, barbarians versus GIs versus, like, uh, rockets versus biplanes. It's it's so much... I would, like, play a D... I would play a D&D setting. Not a D&D. I would play a tabletop RPG setting with yeah. these elements. Yeah. Um, so, so, stop me if you've heard this one, but... A barbarian, a muckman, and a talking duck walk into a swamp. I have heard this one, but go on. <laughs> no, I just I love that the the weird the weirdness of that visual in the la- the back half of the comic is just so much fun. It really is, and it's just going full tilt. Like Gerber's like, you stuck with me up to this point. Now it really gets crazy. Yep. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, and and even though it's way before this movie happened, the winged demons at the end remind me of the the winged deadites in Army of Darkness and the end of Evil Dead Two. Nice. Like like it, it's just a really cool look. It is <sighs> so good. Yeah, and and again, it's it's a lot of setup. You know, like it's, this is. Even though we talk about it paying off the hints about Jennifer Kale earlier, it pays off in a way that is setting up setting up something even bigger. Like even if 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 this was all it was setting up for, it would be worth it. Yeah, like we've we've officially gotten reference to the nexus of realities. Yes. Um, up to this point, they've hinted at it. They've talked about weird energies, but I think I think this might be the first time they've actually called it that. Yes, and it's I'm really excited. Yeah, it's I, I love weird genre mashups, and here you've got sword and sandals and fantasy and war and talking animals and sci-fi and all of it just sort of rolled together into this weird blob of a story that I just can't help but love. Again, I just want more of this. Gerber, yes. you've... And, well, I think I think Man-Thing number one is, is going to definitely give us more. Oh, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, although I do have to ask what the deal is with Marvel in the year uh, 1973, like, ending, ending one run of a comic and starting a new number one in the middle of a cliffhanger. Yeah, because we did that with Ghost Rider. Yeah. And I guess Man-Thing has gotten popular enough that now he's going to go off to his own title. Which... Right. Which, cool, yes, I get that. But, like, I'm not seeing... (coughs) I'm not seeing enough hype to suggest that that shift is being communicated to readers. No, because I would have thought, like, the last page, it would be... Uh, a big yeah, ad. Yeah, keep, keep an eye out for Man-Thing number one. Which, right, like, I almost missed that yellow box on the letters page in the middle of the book announcing it. Which I understand, like, kids are going in, they're looking for that big banner, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're not going to their newsstand and saying, like, hey, give me Adventures into Fear. They're talking about, give me Man-Thing. Right. 
I mean, it, it, it's funny as the the our coverage of this book has gone on, the the fear title has gotten smaller and smaller, and the man thing title has gotten bigger and bigger. Yeah, it has. And I, I have a feeling that that adventure into fear is going to stay just as small, but with the Morbius logo underneath it. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how the Morbius title meshes with what's going on in Living Vampire. Not Living Vampire, um, Vampire Tales. Because because up to now, that's the only real sort of ongoing story we've gotten with him. I, th I guess what we're trying to say here is, guys, if, you're, if, you, if you haven't gone and picked up these issues, you really, really should. Yeah, there's a there's a really great collection of the Gerber Man Thing run. Um, it's available in print and on Comixology. I've got the Comixology version. It's in I think two volumes. Um, it starts with the pre Gerber stuff, but it goes all the way through Gerber's whole run, and it it it's great. It is a fantastic read. You have all of it right there, and and I I can't recommend it enough. If you want to read these books, they're collected in De Officizel Marvel Comics Sumalog. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing that's an international Yeah, edition. maybe. There's Essential Howard the Duck, Volume 1, which I swear I own, but I don't think I've read this issue before, but okay. Right, and that's going to be the black and white reprints. Yeah. Uh, there's this... Of that, the Howard yeah. issues. Which I feel like that issue, it just had that panel. I feel like it was it was just Probably. the panel of Howard appearing, and a little bit of um, written explanation, and then, and then and then it goes right into the Howard the Duck series ongoing. Yeah, like you'd probably have to have the essential man thing to get the Speaking full. Speaking of this issue, is also reprinted essential man thing volume one. <laughs> right. Um, it's reprinted <laughs> in the 2008 Howard the Duck omnibus hardcover. It's in Howard the Duck, the Complete Collection, 2015, Traper Beck, Volume 1. Um, it's Man-Thing by Steve Gerber, the Complete Collection, 2015, Volume 1. The Man... Yep, that's the one I okay. have. Uh, that's, there's the Man-Thing Omnibus, 2012, hardcover. And there's the Marvel Treasury Edition, number 12. Oh, uh, good old Treasury Oh, it, it notes here. Howard the Duck Center reprints include only the last few pages of the issue as they were edited by Gerber and Myrick as the way it all began in Marvel Treasury Edition number 12. Hmm. So, yeah, it is just, like, select panels, not the whole issue. Right, unless you're getting one of the Man-Thing collections. Yeah, which, again, you, you should check you should check these out, guys, because this, this series has been consistently one of our favorites we've talked about on the show. Yeah, honestly, the Man Thing collection and the Howard the Duck collection both worth it. Um, there's a little bit of crossover in terms of material, but eventually they go their separate ways, and it is definitely worth having both. I agree. It's 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 good stuff. Yep. Yep. So I guess that does it for this special holiday edition of Two of Ideas, guys. Yeah. Um. We. It's been fun. I certainly. Uh, appreciate my uh, my lovely gift of uh, of Ghost Rider massacring a bunch of innocents on the highway. And I really appreciate this um, lovely issue of Avengers of the Fear that's going around on eBay. <laughs> um, oh, hey, th there's something else under the tree here. You go look at that, and I'll tell the thanks folks what we're covering next issue. Okay. Next episode, we'll be talking about uh, Strange Tales number 171. Uh, returning to our coverage of Brother Voodoo, Tomb of Dracula number 15, continuing our coverage of that guy with the pointy teeth, I can't remember his name, 
And, of course, Werewolf by Night number 12. Continue our soap opera of the Russell family. So, what was under the tree? Yeah, uh, so there's uh, there's these uh, Christmas crackers that are uh, addressed to us from Gravely. Aw, that's so nice of him. Right? I mean, usually he just, you know, tortures us a little less. Yeah. Oh, that reminds us. If you want to torture us, you can always contact us at to our Twitter, at Tomb of Ideas, uh, our Facebook, facebook.com slash Tomb of Ideas, and of course, you can always send us emails. That's Tomb of Ideas at gmail.com. In addition to that, you can always leave us reviews and rate us at your uh, podcast uh, hosting site of choice, whether you use iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or whatever. Uh, please just uh, leave us a little feedback. Right, we really appreciate it, and it helps more people find the podcast. And of course, it, we, we should always mention that we are a part of the Cinepunks podcast group, which is the home of a lot of great podcasts about comics, pop culture, music, movies, all kinds of stuff. So check out Cinepunks.com, that's Cinepunks with an X, uh, and, and take a look at our, our fellow uh, podcasts. Right. It's lovely, lovely people have been nice enough to host us over there and really just check them out. So anyway, let's get into these crackers. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I guess I grabbed this end. Right, and before we start, Trey, I just want to say, you know, uh, Merry Christmas, man. Merry Christmas. And God bless us, everyone. Ah! Uh, oh, it's bees! It's bees! It's full of bees! It's full of bees! have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tombers Excelsior! <laughs>